If you would take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. And um, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's, I'm really excited about where we're going here in this. Would you just make it a point, maybe write this down so you don't forget, but to be praying for Easter? Um, I don't like to overblow anything, but Easter really is, to a great degree, the, the Super Bowl of the church, this church, every church, any church, because it's, it's the time when people will just come to church just because it's what you do on Easter. So I really would appreciate if you would make that a really a, a concerted point of prayer in the season ahead, because it really is an important season for the life of, of the church, not just Creekside, but to every church uh, around the world. World. Uh, how many of you ever played follow the leader as kids? Remember what you did? You'd pick a leader, whatever the leader did, you had to do. And that was kind of a fun little game. And, and I've always thought that's probably a pretty good picture of what it means to be a Christ follower. That as you really decide, <coughs> excuse me, decide to follow Jesus, what you're really doing is following the ultimate leader. We're going to see in a week or two, when Jesus calls his first followers, his first disciples, he gives them this simple, straightforward clarion call. And he says, follow me. And I believe that's probably the simplest definition of being a Christ follower, being a Christian. It is simply you make a decision one time and then it's followed by sequential decisions almost every day of your life that you say, I'm simply going to follow Jesus. And that's what it means to be a Christian. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he said, he said as he's writing to these people in, in Corinth, he said, I want you to follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And ultimately that's what our lives should be like. That when people look at us, we can say, whatever I do, you do it because I'm following Jesus. And when you see me, well, you're going to see this loving Savior, this person by the name of Jesus Christ. Paul says, just, just imitate me. Paul also said in Romans 8, 28, that ultimately, one of the ultimate goals in Jesus calling us, it says that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, that we would be shaped, that we would begin to look like Jesus. And I thought that's really the ultimate goal, isn't it? People see us. It's not only by imitation, but it's also because we're really taking on the transformation of his life. See, his story, Christ's story, God's story is our story. It's all about God rescuing us, rescuing us because of his great love, that he comes into this world to save this world, to save you, and ultimately to save me. But the truth is, we all have to respond. We all have to answer the call where he says, follow me. And, and we're going to study the story of Jesus as it's recorded in Mark's gospel. Because our goal is simply this, to become better followers of Jesus. The meaning of the word disciple is to be a learner, a follower. And so that's really going to be the goal for the next probably close to a year that we're going to spend in the Gospel of Mark. Now, don't panic. You're going to see me introduce today one line of the Gospel of Mark. So don't go, oh my gosh, Jesus will come before we get through this book. Um, uh, and, and that's very possible. 
but don't think I'm going to go quite that slow. But, uh, but, uh, but the introduction today, and the first, really the first chapter, is really so critical and foundation to what happens in the rest of the book. We'll take a little bit more time getting through the first chapter, but I do want you to not panic uh, today when we only really look at about one, one little statement. But this is what I want to challenge you to do. Some of you growth groups are going to be following this, and I really want you to hunker down and really talk about the message of, of, of Mark and Jesus and how it all fits and works out and is applied to your personal life. And then secondly, I want to encourage you through the week, if you just begin to look at sections that we'll be going through, spend time meditating on those and thinking about them and say, what's, what's the Lord saying to me personally before I even get to church? And then when you come to church, you'll already have a pretty good idea of what, what God's already speaking to you because you'll be able to read along and get ahead in, in, in going through the gospel of Mark. And then if you would, make it a point to bring your Bibles or your iPhones with the Bible on it or your iPads, whatever you use, because we really want to get in and become very comfortable and very familiar with this book. Well, I want to give you some background on it. Mark is the shortest and the oldest of all the four Gospels. You know the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're basically the same story written from four different perspectives. It's like an accident report, except this wasn't an accident. This was a planned thing. But you get as many witnesses as you can to get from different perspectives. And that's exactly what these Gospels are all about. Four men who write from the, their perspective so that they can share Jesus at his fullest dimensions. Now, Mark was not one of the 12 apostles, but he was a sidekick to them and spent a lot of time with them, as you'll see him throughout the Gospel of Mark and the other Gospels, and he's seen throughout the book of Acts. Early church fathers reported that Mark most likely was a close associate with the apostle Peter. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5, it talks about he was a son in the faith. And most scholars, most uh, historians believe that what took place is that as Peter would preach, Mark would record and write down, or kind of like a traveling companion that would write about the uh, exercises and activities that he saw through Peter. So what we're really seeing here probably is the teachings of Peter. What we're seeing here is the heart and the thought of Peter coming through the pen of Mark. Now, this gospel was written to the Roman audience. Uh, the Roman audience was, a, was an audience of activity, and I thought that's why it would be so good for us, because we're, we're not such a philosophical church that wants to sit around and kind of philosophize about stuff. We, we have kind of an action orientation as a church. So as Mark writes to the Romans, it's because they're more concerned about power than they are pedigree. So we're not going to see a genealogy. There's fewer quotes from the Old Testament. And whenever a Jewish, Jewish term is used in the Gospel of Mark, it's usually explained. I call this the kind of quicken your pulse gospel because it moves with a rapidity that the, that the other gospels don't move with. It's a fast-paced gospel. Mark seems more interested in Jesus' works than he is his words. He records 18 of Jesus' miracles, and he's more concerned, though, about his power and performance than he is his teachings, because it's only got four parables in the gospel. As you go through this, you'll see that Mark's favorite word is immediately. 
immediately. He uses it over 40 times. In the first chapter alone, it's used eight times. Immediately, Jesus. Immediately, this took place. Now, to see just how the four Gospels kind of work together, they're witnesses of Jesus' life to a specific group of people. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, it presents Jesus as the king to the Jewish mindset. They were waiting for their king to come. And so everything of Matthew has an Old Testament focus, moving from the Old Testament to Jesus as the coming king. The Gospel of Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man because he's reading to the Grecian mindset who were very uh, taken with the mind and the body and the person thinking. The Gospel of John presents Jesus as the Son of God, and it's written to the wide-range Gentile mind, mindset that everybody outside would be able to understand who Jesus was. But Mark's Gospel presents him as a servant. In chapters 1 through 10, we're going to see Jesus as the servant who's living his life in service. And then in chapters 11, 6 through 16, we're going to see Jesus where he gives his life in sacrifice for all humanity. So the first thing I want you to do here is let's, let's read. First line. I will read the first couple verses. It says, now in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So right there, there's two things you see. You see the message. It's the gospel. And you see the man, Jesus Christ, who is the son of God. He says, it is written in Isaiah the prophets. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. He's a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. So you see here the gospel. The first thing, it's the good news. Mark's first two words are, in the, be are, are the beginning. So when did the gospel begin? Well, it didn't start with the birth of Jesus, you have to understand, or the preaching of John the Baptist. Mark actually takes us all the way back to the prophet Isaiah. And I, and I, I was going to give you a little bit of history on this, that it really, the gospel, the essence of the gospel, the message of the gospel goes back to Genesis 3. And I'll probably include that somewhere down the road here. But truly, he's saying, listen, the gospel didn't just begin with today or Jesus' birth of John the Baptist. It started with the prophetic proclamation from the prophets Isaiah and Malachi, where they said they're going to make a straight path. And it's really a prophetic announcement about John the Baptist as well as Jesus. He says it is written in Isaiah the prophet. He quotes from Malachi 3 and Isaiah 40. And he probably only uh, cites Malachi because Malachi was really the prophet that spoke of Jesus. He didn't use the word Jesus, but he, he was very clear. And the message that he spoke, especially from Isaiah chapter 40 through 66, focused on the suffering servant, Jesus, the one who would come. And so that's probably why he is cited. Now, the gospel began long ago in God's heart for us. Long before Jesus came, God promised. God had a plan from the beginning of time. And through the history of the Old Testament, he gives his prophets these glimpses of what it's going to look like and what's going to take place and what that plan is. And then all of a sudden, Jesus bursts onto the scene. And he becomes the fulfillment of the plan. So you have to understand that the God of the law, the Old Testament, is also the same God, the God of the gospel. So he says, the beginning of the gospel. What does gospel mean? It means literally this, good news. 
Write that down if you don't, so you can remember that. The gospel means good news. It's a thing that has happened, and whatever happened is good. You can relate to this, a prime example, if you've had children or grandchildren. What do you do upon their arrival? You tell people. It is a good thing that has come. We go to Facebook. We go to Twitter. We go to email. We go to snail mail. We get the news out there. This is good. There's been a birth. We're so excited. And we can never forget, loved ones, that that's really the truth of what Jesus brings to us. That's the good news, the gospel, that we can experience new birth because of Jesus Christ. And once we've done that, there is this this sense of it's the good news that we want to tell people about, should be sharing with people. Now, just let me just parenthetically here kind of add that about his name where it says Jesus Christ. Some people think that it's kind of like, you know, Terry Riley, that's my name. And that, well, Jesus is his first name and Christ is his second name. No, Christ isn't his name, it's his title. Jesus was his name. Christ was simply his title that means anointed one, Messiah. In Hebrew, it meant Messiah. And in the, in the uh, uh, gr- Greek, it means anointed one, the one that came to be the redemptive flow of God's love toward humanity. So they called him Jesus Christ or Jesus the Messiah. Understand that Orthodox Jews are still praying for the Messiah to come. Christians believe that Jesus is the Messiah who has already come and will be coming again. Now he says Jesus Christ, the Son of God, by calling Jesus the Son of God. Mark wants his readers to know that Jesus is divine. I mean, he's not some ordinary guy. He is the Son of God. Of God. So Jesus, when he gives us his title, he's showing us that Jesus is fully human, that Christ, he's God's chosen deliverer for all of humanity and history. And as the son of God, he's saying he's fully God. And see, friends, that's the foundation of the good news is the arrival of Jesus, the Christ, the son of God. So what's the good news about Jesus? Well, we'll explain this more as we go through this gospel, but let me kind of summarize it for you today in a couple of ways. First of all, it's that God has come to make things right, starting with you and with me. And it doesn't happen because we're good people. It really happens because we're dead and Jesus comes to make us alive with the resurrection power of his life. See, sometimes we forget. We just think God wants to make bad people good. That's part of it, but that's definitely secondary. The true issue is that he comes to make dead people alive. Listen to what Romans 1, 16 and 17 says. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is Paul writing to the church at Rome. He's in prison. He's in prison because he's not ashamed of the gospel, because he's been speaking it. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because what? It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. 
Notice those two things. Everyone, but they've got to believe. They've got to receive. For in, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, because you believe Jesus is the righteous one for you. See, the gospel doesn't talk about the power of God. It is the power of God. It's what makes it possible. It imputes Christ's righteousness for us so that we can become Christ's followers. It can prick your conscience. It can grab your mind. It can warm your heart. And most importantly, it can change your life. It can make the perverted pure. It can release and free the addicted. It can do so many powerful things. The word power there is the word dunamis, and it means dynamic. There's a dynamic to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we've seen throughout history, throughout the ages, that can set the bound free. It can give new hope to the hopeless. And that's good news. That's good news that you can use for your life. That's good news that you can share with the people around you. But see, the essence of the meaning of the good news is really found in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. If you really want to distill it and break it down, Paul gives this treatise on the resurrection, and he says this, No, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news that I have preached to you. It is by this gospel you are saved. For what I have received, I pass on to you as first importance. What Paul is saying is, this is it. Priority number one, first importance. Don't miss this. Hear it, understand it. And this is what is first importance. This is the gospel in its essence. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried And then he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. See, hear me, friends. This is it. This is the essence. When we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is it. Christ came as a sinless man. He died for our sins. He was buried and rose again on the third day, according to what the scriptures declare the Bible teaches. He is alive, and he comes into our lives so that we can receive him, and his grace can be worked in us so that it can begin to be worked out through us. That becomes the ultimate message of hope. Now hear me. There's places in the scriptures where it says that message is very offensive because people don't like to hear that they're sinners. People don't like to hear that they need a God, and it ticks them off. Look at me. I'm a good person. The problem is, is the gospel says there is none who is righteous. No, not one. I don't care how good you are. Before God, we are all unrighteous, messy sinners. And that really is an offense to most of us who, well, we're pretty good people, you know? But that's not how it is. And one of the things that I want to do through this study is there really is this Americano Christianity. There's this American gospel that is... That, that is built around and spiritualizes the American dream and prosperity. And hear me, I'm all for that. 
except when it begins to impede the flow of the life of the gospel in people's lives, or we try and make the gospel in our American way. If you travel to third world countries where the gospel is spreading, it, our, the message of a lot of churches doesn't work anywhere. This American Christianity, this gospel of prosperity. The gospel, the true gospel works in every place in the world. And so I'm going to be crowding you a little bit through this study to make sure that we want God's understanding of what the gospel is, not our terms. Because see, the gospel is so powerful, it's so precious, it costs us absolutely nothing. But hear me, it will demand everything of you. If you really want to live the essence of the gospel message, it is free. But once you embrace it, it will cost you. It'll cost you greatly. It will have high demands on your life. And I want to make sure that as we go through this, that we're confronting this idea of this American Christianity that is so prevalent. Well, that's the good news. Jesus Christ came. He died for our sins. He rose again on the third day. And he lives forevermore. And this message is set up because it brings hope to all. This gospel leads us into the hope of living differently beyond ourselves. Notice what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. He says, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, ah, again, but also with power. There's a dynamic that it should bring to our lives where we're not simply talking about it, but there begins to be this power that emanates from us that really ministers and touches people at the core of their deepest needs. And he says, but it came with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. Oh, you know how we lived among you for our sake, because you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Why did they do that? Because they saw Paul and his people, and they were able to say, that's Jesus. That's what I want. He said, you watched, you saw our lives lived out and demonstrated in the power of God before you. First Timothy 2.4 says this. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth of what? The gospel, the good news. Because it's a message for all and it is a message to all. Well, why does it bring hope? Well, let, let's go back to the author of this book. If I say the words John Mark, just know that um, you know, most of us know him by Mark, but his name was actually John Mark. Something significant happened early in John Mark's ministry. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 13 versus Acts chapter 15. Might be a good thing just to kind of check out this week. Mark was young, probably a teenager, early 20s. And all of a sudden, he gets to go with these heavy hitters. Barnabas, whose name meant son of encouragement. One of the leaders, you read about him in Acts chapter 4. He was a heavy hitter. And Paul, Paul and Barnabas team up, and they're going to begin to spread the gospel to the Gentile nations. And, and so they're going to go on this first missionary journey. Now, John Mark is Barnabas' nephew, so he's going to be invited along to be part of this ministry team. Now, you've got to know, man, as the gospel is spreading, this is scary stuff. 
Because everywhere they went, the stuff hit the fan. It wasn't pretty. They were, they were persecuted. They were beat up. They were knocked down. They, they would start giving their lives for the gospel. Something significant happened on this first journey. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 13, verse 13. And all it says is, is that John Mark quit and he returned to Jerusalem. Most people believe he basically got scared and chickened out and said, this is a little too hot for me. And he ended up going back and he turned back. Now, what's interesting is there's a second missionary journey in the book of Acts, chapter 15. Barnabas and Paul are together again. The son of encouragement says, let's grab John Mark. Let's give him a second chance. And Paul looks at him, "Uh uh-uh, not so fast. He's a quitter. I don't want him. And it says in Acts 15, 39, that the contention between them was so sharp that Barnabas and Paul literally split, never to work together again over John Mark. Who was right? I believe Paul was justified in his position because he saw the short-term ministry need. Let's get her done. This is important. This is the cause of Christ. So he left. Ah, but I also believe Barnabas was right. Because he was correct in that he saw this longer term and view of ministry in this one person. Isn't it interesting that his name, son of encouragement, that he took his nephew and he began to work with him and to mold him and to shape him and to encourage him and to lead him back in to ministry. As a matter of fact, here's a few reference points for if you're a note taker. He worked with Mark, and soon Mark began to make a great ministry comeback. Listen to this. It says in Philippians, in, in, in Philemon chapter, or excuse me, Philemon, it's one chapter, but in Philemon 24, it says literally that Mark went back to Paul some 20 years later and helped him in prison. It says in uh, Colossians 4.10, that he was requested by Paul. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, at the end of uh, Paul's life, as he's getting ready to give his life for the gospel and he's in prison, guess who he asks for? Hey, hey, would you send John Mark to me? Isn't it amazing? I love that. Because some 20 or 30 years earlier, Paul is saying, goodbye, so long, don't need you, you're a quitter. And then years later, as Barnabas works with him, he comes back to Paul. Now hear me. That's why the gospel gives me hope. Because the gospel, it redeems and it restores. And it brings us back to everything God has for us. How about you and me? Have you ever failed? Have you ever messed up? Here's the thing you need to know about the good news. And sometimes this, again, can be offensive to people, and that's all right. But see, sometimes we think we're sinners because we sin. Never forget this, loved ones. You, are a, you sin because you are a sinner. It is systemic. It courses through us. It says we are born that way. 
But here's the good news. Here's the hope. I love how Andy Stanley said it. He said, if you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, watch what Jesus did. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what he said about love, then watch how Jesus loved. This is our hope. He said sin is sin, but then what does he do? He pays for it. He dies for us. That's the good news. Then he says, Jesus says, you're not condemned. But then he says what? But you better quit sinning. But if you don't, I still love you. And if you don't think you can quit sinning, I love you. And if you have been so broken by your sin, I still love you. And if you have been so broken by your sin and by other people's sin against you and you don't think you can move away from it, guess what? I still love you. See, this is the good news, loved ones. It's where God says, I will take the blame for everything you did wrong and I will give you credit for everything I did wrong. Right. Oh, now that's good news. That is news you can use. That's news you can share tomorrow at your office. That's news you can share tomorrow at the job site. Because it gives hope to every one of us. But there's this tension there in the gospel and the good news between this grace and truth. And as we attempt to solve it fully... As part of the gospel equation, guess what? We'll ultimately lose something. We can't afford to lose the truth because sin always has a gotcha. And God doesn't want it to get you. But guess what? Sin has already got you. So we got to make sure that we live in such a way under the banner and the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ and his grace and his truth so it doesn't continue to get us. See, that's the hope. See, truth is important, but grace, loved ones, is the only way out. It's the grace of Jesus Christ. You, me, we, the church, will always be at our best when we embrace the gospel by fully embracing grace and truth of the Bible so that we love as Jesus loves and we speak as Jesus speaks because that's what you're going to see throughout the Gospel of Mark. You're going to see his actions and some of his words and how he deals with brokenness, sinners. Philip Keller, I loved what he said about the Gospel. He said, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted by Jesus than we ever dared hope. Now see, while Jesus loves you where you are, he loves you too much to leave you there. And it is this type of relationship with Christ that can transform our lives. Grace without truth allows us to live in the denial of our sin and flaws and ultimately excuse them. But truth without love leads us to be harsh and critical with people. But when our lives and when our words are marked by both radical grace and radical commitment to truth, that's what can pull us out of the tailspin of sin. That's the good news. Doesn't that just give you a little hope? Man, I tell you what, it, it does me. 
Can you think of times in your life where you dropped the ball, went sideways, turned your back, fell down, decided to go your own way? Let me ask you, what have you quit on? Quit on your marriage? Have you quit on your God? Have you quit on a friend that was so far away that you thought they were, they could never come back? What have you quit on? You quit on yourself? You come in here today maybe thinking, okay, God, I'm going to give you one more shot. You better speak to me or I am gone. See, the message of the gospel, loved ones, is this, is you are only one step removed from a fresh start with Jesus Christ. And that is the good news. And that's for everybody, everywhere. By the time Mark's life ends, guess what? He's useful to Barnabas because Barnabas restores him. Guess what? He's useful to Paul. He's useful to the church. And I'm so glad because he's useful to us as we get his words and his example today. Are you kidding me? That's good news. And you know what that does? That gives me great hope. Because I am a sinner. I will fail. But I'm so thankful that I got a God who says, this is the good news. I gave my life for you. For you. And you. And you. We're never too far gone, loved ones. But this message also brings hope everywhere you go. In a world that's filled with wrong, with sin, injustice, oppression, and evil, this good news is for everywhere. God has come in Christ to make rights wrong, starting with you and me. That's where God always starts, friends, with you and me. With the evil in me, our need to be forgiven, our need to be transformed, our need to be made right with God. And when that happens, guess what? I, you, we can become agents of God's hands and change in the world. But it always starts with you and me. See, that's what Jesus, we're going to get to see. That's why I'm so excited about this, because we're going to get to see him as he's going and teaching and ministering. Scripture says over and over, from villages to cities, to the countryside, everywhere. And that's our call as well-loved ones, that we would continue to go and do that, that we would, content, we would connect with people, we would relate to them, and share the good news to them. Sometimes we get it a little bit inverted and we think we've got to preach before we just care and connect. And, and, and there are times when that needs to happen, but we can never forget how Jesus did it. Just walking along, going along, being open to God's incredible divine appointments. Paul and his disciples throughout the book of Acts, we see them going. You'll see in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, they go to Thessalonica. And it says that literally they go, they preach the good news, and they start ministering to people. And it says, and they basically it causes this riot. And people start complaining and said, these people, they're turning the world upside down. Can I tell you what's really happening? They're turning the world right side up. 
And that's what our call is. Is that we go through Martinez, we may cause a little ruckus, that's all right, or the East Bay, wherever. But ultimately, what do we want to do? We want to turn the world right side up because they encounter this person, Jesus. They encounter the good news of Jesus Christ through us, wherever we go, every day, every way. This past week, I spent, uh, many of you, some of you know, a lot of you probably know, I'm on the missions board of our denomination. And I've been on that for <clears throat> a little over 10 years now. This week I spent, we have our, what we've been doing for our meetings, we usually um, I go to Des Moines, which the God-forsaken Midwest, and uh, it's freezing and snowing. And the last two years, we got to go to our missions place down in the Puente de Amistad, Tijuana, Mexico, um, where we have a missions base. And this year, we got to go to Nogales, Mexico, where we also have a missions base. And I'm just, it's, I'm, I, every time I come away from those, I'm just so moved. We got to spend time with our missionaries down there, Bill and Faith McConnell, Adele and, and Joy Brown, and just some of the incredible ministry that's taking place. It was my first time there. But can I tell you what? You get to see the gospel lived out. They're teaching it and they're preaching it, but you get to see the gospel lived out. And I love that because really that's what Creekside desires to do. See, we don't just have services, and those are important. But we are committed as a church. And if you're new here, I welcome you today. I'm thrilled that you're here. But if you want to be a part of a church that just comes and sits, this won't be the place for you. Because we believe the gospel is not only what we speak, but it's what we do. It's how we live. It's how we give. It's how we share our lives. And that's why I love this gospel, because it's probably going to make us a little bit more uncomfortable as a church. But I got to go there and spend time with these missionaries. And I just want to show you a, a few pictures here as we go. And um, you'll see here, uh, just go ahead and put a couple of them up there. You're going to see this is a men's rehab center. That's Faith McConnell there, the blonde. She's the uh, missionary. She's the, one of the, uh, the uh, lead missionaries there. And you'll see here on the left is just a little place where some people lived. Here she's talking with some of the board members and we're going through this little community here. Uh, over here, that's where uh, this gentleman is washing clothes. This is a community of about 80 to 100 men. Literally, the police come and drop them off here. And it's a place for the, the addicted, the homeless, broken by alcohol, families busted apart. And they come here and they live. And what they do is, is they spend three or four or five days with them as they detox. And then they put them to work. And every day they have two services, two church services, two chapel services, where they hear the gospel, the good news of the freeing power of Jesus Christ. And the rest of the time, many of them are working. They have elderly here. They have um, uh, the disease. They have sick here. Is there another picture up here? Let's see if there's another one. Um, you'll see. I can't tell. Is that a... Yeah, okay, good, yeah. That wheelchair, the, the man was totally crippled. We got to pray for him, but he's there, and they're taking care of him. And there's others like him. Here's their baptism. Don't you love that? This is in Nogales, Mexico, and this is where they baptize their people. Second place we went to, go ahead. They, um, we went to a little orphanage. 
So you see these little girls and these little boys, and it just moves your heart, and you just go, how could mamas and daddies leave these precious, beautiful little brown babies? So here's the orphanage, and here's a little girl and a little dog. I just got a picture of her and got to spend some time. Go ahead. Is there some more? That's all? Okay. We had, uh, we, they had a picture there, these, these little girls, so there's about nine of them that did this little presentation where they sang and they danced for us, and just a beautiful little presentation. Then we went, uh, and just, uh, there's a, I don't know, there's probably 25 or 30 kids in this orphanage that they take care of, share the gospel with them, teach them, and minister to them. The gospel is being preached. It's everywhere for everybody. Next place we went to after that was uh, uh, in, in Nogales, they have a kind of a penitentiary for men, and next door they have a penitentiary for women, and they also have a holding cell for little teenage boys that are 12 to 16 years old. So we tried to get into the women's. We wanted to go see the women's and, and go through there and minister because they have a very high-profile ministry there where they literally, the McConnells have total access to just about any, any prison in, in Mexico because of the influence they have and the ministries they developed in Nogales. So we went to see the women, but they just had an uprising or something took place that morning of significant uh, uprising that we couldn't, we couldn't get in to see them. And then something was going on in the men's pen, so we couldn't go over there and minister as well. So we went into this uh, where the uh, teenagers are. It's kind of a holding place where they actually have to stay there for 6 to 12 months while they're waiting to literally go to court, be heard, and be sentenced. So we walk into this little square room, and it's surrounded by these jail cells by these teenagers in there, 12 to 16 years old. So there was probably about 25 or 30 boys. And it's amazing. You walk in there, and they just their eyes light up. And we're walking through, and they stay in their cells, so we just get to high-five them. And, you know, if we have some interpreters there, we could talk to them and, and just to be able to communicate. And really, it's, it's, it's really about your body language and how you just touch them and minister to them and talk to them. So one of the leaders with Bill and Faith McConnell, and they're Dell and Joy Brown, and then they have this gal, this really pretty little Hispanic girl. Who her name is Lori. So she pulls out her computer, her laptop computer, hooks it up to a TV, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, oh, we're going to do karaoke, but it's worship karaoke. And they pull it out, and, and they got these like three TVs that are facing the cells, and she's sitting here on her computer, and she just starts these songs. And it's amazing, all of a sudden, these, these little boys, these teenage boys, they just start clapping, they start singing, they start dancing, and they just start worshiping. It's an incredible sight to be sitting there. You look around, you go, my God, the gospel is being preached. This is the good news. Now, what's amazing is, is I didn't know the story of this, but I was watching this Hispanic gal as she's sitting here doing her thing and, you know, putting up these songs and talking to these boys about what they wanted to sing next. And she's just sitting there, and she'd get it up there, and then all of a sudden, as, you know, as we're singing and worshiping, she'd just be there, just be lost in her worship. And I stepped outside, and I said, now, who's this Lori gal? And uh, one of the McConnells said to me, well, you see that prison over there? That's where she came out of. I go, you're kidding. She goes, oh, no. 
She was charged with attempted murder, one of the most hateful people we've ever seen. And so she was in the women's cell. As a matter of fact, she was so hateful, she was in solitary confinement. Whenever she would get out, she'd punch a guard just so she could go back into solitary confinement and be by herself. She said one day... One day she was out and she heard the music and she heard a little bit of the message that we were speaking to the women. And she said, I I, want to hear that. I got to hear that. I got to go to that. And so for the first time, she was good. So she could get enough free time to be able to go to the meeting. She goes to the meeting. She hears the good news. It changes her life. She gets saved. She starts her ministry in there. And now she's out. And guess what she's doing? She's like the right-hand person of our missionaries down in Nogales. Yeah, I would say that is good news. And she's just this little petite. You'd go, tempted murder? But you see, loved ones, that's what Jesus does. That's the power of the gospel. It's hope for all. It brings hope everywhere we go. And the last thing is very simple. It brings hope for all time. It brings hope for all time. See, religion is spelled do. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to work to get to God. The gospel is simply spelled done. Jesus paid it all. We simply respond to his grace. You know what his grace is? It's getting what we don't deserve. Every time I go to a foreign field, you know what I say? I don't know. I don't deserve to be in America. I don't know why God put me here. And then I get this voice that goes, oh, I'll tell you why. So you'll be responsible to help people that can go here and minister. Oh, yeah. See, I don't lead this church just for Martinez. I lead it for the world. You don't come to this church just because you want to hopefully get some kind of little spiritual buzz. I hope you come because you are on a mission from God and that you never forget that. We are on a mission for God because we have experienced this favor, this grace, money, work, beautiful area. Don't ever forget that, loved ones. Because it's not only his grace, us getting what we don't deserve, it's receiving his mercy where he doesn't give us what we do deserve, which is his wrath and his judgment. But because we experience and respond and receive the gospel, the good news. Oh, thank you, Lord. It's what he's done for me. I just simply get to receive it. That's the good news. It's not based on a program. It's based on a person. It's not based on something that happened in here. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who now lives in our hearts, and he leads us how to live, and he gives us the power to make changes, and he gives us the ability and the freedom and the power to say, I'm going to give toward this. I'm going to minister here. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus, and that I would minister the gospel every day, every way, every where I go. Amen? Let's stand together.